Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. Erica Golden is a registered dietitian nutritionist with a passion for mental health and gut health. She is the founder of Nourished Mind Nutrition, where she provides telehealth services for various conditions, including depression, anxiety, migraines, dementia, IBS, IBD, and eating disorders. Hi, Erica. A warm welcome to you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about the powerful impact of nutrition on emotional and mental well-being. So thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited. As you know, I am registered for your course on nutrition and mental health is when I first learned about you and your work. I'd love if you can share with our listeners your background as a dietitian and how you ended up in the nutrition and mental health space. Yeah. So when I first started out and, you know, passed my registration exam as a dietitian, I ended up working in an eating disorder recovery facility, like a little residential care center. It was just like eight clients and just very small and intimate. It was such a um, interesting and challenging Mm -hmm. experience for me as a brand new dietitian um, who kind of never really thought I would work with eating disorders, but just happened to end up there. It totally changed my perspective of what my role was as a dietitian and, um, you know, from just thinking about nutrition care and dietetics as this treatment of disease to thinking about how can I actually use this therapeutic relationship with patients and clients to promote their healing? And then also to promote that healing relationship with food as well. And thinking of, you know, food and whole foods and the whole diet as something um, that's not to be taken for granted. You know, we sometimes think that we just need to get people, you know, eating this nutrient or that nutrient or this food or that food, but we maybe miss sometimes that whole picture of their relationship with food and with their whole diet. So that was really important, I think, for me at the outset to change what I thought I should be doing as a dietitian and what my role was and just learning how mental health is always going to be really involved in our nutrition choices just as much as our physical health is. And then in the years since then, I've really continued to work with eating disorders. I really did find that I enjoyed it and have a passion for it. But I also really enjoy working with other areas in the mental health space. I've worked in substance abuse recovery and PTSD with a lot of patients with depression and anxiety. Also done some work in like elder care and dementia and just I'm so fascinated by the brain and by how our lifestyle choices and our diet can affect our mental health. So I've spent a lot of time really researching and learning about that and also about the intersection with gut health and GI disorders um, because they really do overlap so much, right? And so 
even sometimes I'll still find that people come into my practice looking to work on GI issues, but then we uncover all sorts of mental health challenges that are enmeshed with them. And we have to work on, you know, those too, which is really kind of cool. So yeah, when I started my private practice a couple of years ago, that was really what I wanted to focus on was that mental health and gut health overlap and how those two things work together. Um, and to be able to operate in a more like trauma informed and weight inclusive way as well than maybe what we can sometimes do in, in a, um, other practice settings. So, and then, yeah, I've been able to do a lot more writing too. Um, like that course that you mentioned, which has been really fun. I really enjoy writing. So, yeah. Yeah. You have such a wealth of experience working with different populations and age groups, which I think just really add to your, the value that you bring into your work. Um, Because as nutrition professionals, we know that the relationship between nutrition and mental health is really Mm bi-directional. So foods we eat affect our mental health, our mental health really impacts what and how well we eat. And there is a lot of studies, research that are coming out. But we who've worked in this space for such a long time know that there's a huge psychological component to eating. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just eat this and this, but what's happening in that moment with those choices. So, Mm -hmm. so much amazing information there. Let's talk about the gut brain connection. People have heard of it, but what exactly is that? And we know with mood, behavior, all of those things, serotonin, dopamine, what's happening there and how does that all relate to mental health. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really incredibly hot topic, right? And it's also (laughs) very growing. So we still have a lot to learn here. But what we do know is that that connection or communication system between the central nervous system or the brain, and then all of those different components of the gut, um, like you said, it's bidirectional. It's connected through like the vagus nerve, which some people may have heard of that information superhighway, some people call it, you know, that nerve Mm -hmm. that connects between the gut and the brain. We also have the blood circulation involved in the process. We have hormones, we have neurotransmitters. We have a lot to learn, like I said. Um, But what we do know already is that when we have um, eaten something that could be bad for us and we need to clear it out really quickly, for example, um, that's going to send messages from our gut to our brain to tell it, hey, we need to clear stuff out really quickly. Um, We can have that positive connection where they have uh, the ability to change one another in a way that's healthful, but sometimes we can have dysfunction in that gut-brain axis. And that's where we start to see, you know, um, maybe chronic stress or acute stress that changes our bowel habits in a negative way. Um, maybe we have issues stemming from an imbalance in the microbiome. Maybe we have a nutritional deficiency. Maybe we have some inflammation going on in the gut because of some disease. And each of those imbalances in the gut can then change the function of the brain, including our mental and emotional health. It's really fascinating when you start to dig into the studies on that connection, even between just the microbiome alone and the brain and how those cells that aren't even cells of our own body, they're actually, you know, bacteria, they, we we don't really think of them as being a part of us. And yet they affect our mental health. It's completely fascinating to me. (laughs) Yeah. And there are a lot of people that are struggling with 
mental health. And by that, we mean depression and anxiety, um, the blues. And there were statistics by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, one in six adults. But we know the statistics, those are probably higher. They're underreported. Mm -hmm. So when people go to their physician or healthcare provider and they reveal that they are having these symptoms and what should they do? I would hope that food and nutrition is part of that conversation. Many times that it's not, Mm -hmm. but we know that there are specific nutrients or foods that in our diet that can have a significant impact on our brain health. Mm -hmm. So can you please speak to those essential micronutrients? Yeah. So we have a lot of knowledge and studies to show us that nutrition and nutritional status has a huge implication on mental health. And so a lot of those studies have been done on really severe levels of deficiency. So for example, you know, we'll look at um, people who have really, really low B12 levels, for example, or iron levels, really, really low iron levels. And we'll see that they have significant changes in their mood and their cognition or like their ability to think clearly. So we know in severe cases that those nutrients affect our mental health and our ability to think well, but it's not just going to all of a sudden develop right when we hit that certain level of deficiency. So we're going to start to see those symptoms of insufficiency um, as well. And that's something that I think we're still really learning about, you know, how do we get people to optimal levels of these nutrients rather than just like the minimal levels that we've kind of studied and and set maybe in some cases almost arbitrarily just as like the level that's needed to prevent disease for most people so yeah as we learn more i think we're going to find more nutrients but right now some of the stuff that we have the best evidence on things like vitamin d vitamin b12 folate magnesium iron zinc those are all huge in nutrition for mental health. And I talk about all of these with my clients every single time, because we're always going to look at, you know, in your diet, are you getting enough of these nutrients? Are you meeting your needs for, you know, not just prevention of disease, but also to get you to an optimal level? Um, Are you eating a balanced and varied diet that has a lot of different colors of plants and some thoughtfully chosen animal products as well to prevent deficiency? If we're not eating a varied diet, it's pretty likely we're not going to be getting enough of these nutrients. And also even like the phytochemicals, the components that give plants their color and the prebiotics, the fiber components that fuel our gut microbiome, those are also really supportive. And we know that they're best obtained from food, not necessarily from supplements. So I think that's really important to note as well. And then what are some examples of those prebiotics? Because people have heard probiotics Mm -hmm. and often people think it's from supplements. But what about prebiotics? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of research being done on this space too. And I think we'll actually add more to our list of what classifies as a prebiotic. But right now we have a lot of data on things like bananas and artichokes and oats, um, apples, these foods that... um, don't get broken down completely by our own body. And so the bacteria in our large intestine works on them and breaks them down and then produces things called short-chain fatty acids that then can actually be very supportive of overall health and mental health as well. So this is really one of the spaces where I think um, 
food first is way better <laughs> um, than you know just relying on a supplement because we really want variety of these prebiotics. We want um, to have that combination too of the prebiotics plus these other phytochemicals that I think one day phytochemicals will also be considered prebiotics because they actually also fuel the gut microbiome. Even omega-3 fatty acids we're learning can be fuel for the gut microbiome. So maybe one day those will be considered prebiotics too. It's just a, a fascinating space really. Yeah, I love all of that. And so for people that are listening, so we know typically foods don't make headlines, right? People want more quick fixes. They Things that make headline news or hashtags are not typically like nutrients or foods, but it's things like detoxification or detox diets, detox products. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to us naturally how our body undergoes a detoxification pro process, but how that also relates to nutrition and mental health? Yeah. Yeah. So detoxification is an essential thing that happens in our body, right? We need detoxification all the time, not only of things that we're taking in from our environment. So, you know, we always think of like the classic case of alcohol, right? When we drink alcohol, mm -hmm. it has to go through that detoxification process in our body so that we can clear it from our body safely. And that happens primarily in the liver. Um, we also have some involvement of some other organ systems too. Obviously your kidneys have to be involved because you're excreting things in your urine. Um, and even to some extent, like your kidney or sorry, your skin, also um, your lungs, because sometimes we put things out into the air even. Um, so a lot of different organ systems very involved in this and they do a really good job. So I try to remind people that when you're choosing you know, to use like a detox shake or a supplement, um, are you trying to do for your body something that your body is actually uniquely able to do for itself? We really want to just support that process. We want to give our body the nutrients that it needs to do that detoxification through those organ systems that are designed to do it rather than thinking, you know, oh, I need to detox my liver with this like shake that's actually going to be extremely nutritionally deficient. It's going to yeah. lead to all sorts of other potential issues in our body because we're not giving ourselves that varied balanced diet that all of the organs in our body needs, right? If we're trying to do this detoxification to reduce inflammation, for example, we're probably not giving our body all of the nutrients we need to just decrease that inflammation and support this anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So yeah, choose wisely. I, I don't tend to recommend people um, looking to these, you know, mass produced supplements that really are just preying on people's fears. Yeah. And there's packages and such and programs that they say are backed by science and they're marketed as quick fixes and resets, which we know is completely false, right? Mm -hmm. You can't undo years of something or months of something and three days of something. Right. So I think this is where when people are confused about, but don't we naturally have detoxification systems? Yes. And in order to optimize the function of that, that's where the nutrients and foods comes in. It's a lifestyle, right? Right. It's not a one-time fix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what about stress? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think of stress as something that can almost be toxic as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because when we're highly stressed chronically, um, 
we all know this is really tough on our bodies. If this is like the first time that anyone has heard this, I don't know where you've been, right? Like we all have heard about Mm -hmm. this by now. Um, One of the ways that it's actually tough on our bodies is the digestive system, right? So when we're stressed, biologically, digestion is no longer our body's top priority. So for some people, this can lead to diarrhea because the the GI system is like, hey, we're about to be in fight or flight mode. I need to clear out. For others, this can lead to constipation because the digestive system really kind of shuts down. And for others, it's a kind of combination of the two. So this is part of what we see with these gut-brain axis dysfunctions, like what we were talking about before. And a classical example of that is IBS. So a lot of people lately are really realizing that the symptoms that they've experienced for a long time could be defined as IBS, right? It's not just something that you just have to live with and deal with. There's treatment for it. And amazingly, some of the treatments for IBS, which we think, oh, it's a gut disorder. So we should be able to, you know, treat it with food and supplements and medicines and stuff. And to some extent we can, but we also see things like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy is really effective in IBS or gut directed hypnotherapy. So this is really amazing to show just the power of the gut brain axis. We can affect it from both ends. So, you know, as dietitians, we might be working on you know, how do we find these foods that might be kind of triggering your symptoms? They're not the cause of your symptoms, but they might make your symptoms worse. And then we might also be referring out to maybe a a therapist to work with them on the mental and cognitive aspects of this as well. So it's really interesting um, to see those examples where this multidisciplinary care, you know, this, this care that comes from lots of different providers is really so much more effective than just treating in one way alone. Yeah, and with stress and eating, we've all seen when we're rushed, if we're, say, scrolling on our phones, we're in a car, we're jumping from one thing to another and trying to eat. Mm-hmm. It just, we know that it just doesn't sit well, right? Mm-hmm. We're more likely to be bloated, just, and the body is digesting it very differently than if you were sitting down in a calm, peaceful environment. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes if we're, different types of people might have learned experiences or kind of learned behaviors to respond to stress differently with eating, right? So some people find that when they're stressed, their appetite just totally shuts down. And then for other people, eating can become kind of a way of self-soothing. And I don't think that, you know, emotional eating or turning to food when we have strong emotions is always like something that we need to think of as the wrong choice. There's a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. why we eat, but yeah, are we eating the foods that are actually going to help us feel better or are we just eating something that's like kind of a quick dopamine boost that we feel better in the moment, but then, you know, five minutes later we feel worse, right? So it's about how we, how do we incorporate some of those nutrient dense foods as well? Um, and yeah, I think we talked about before, you know, you're never going to have a stress-free life. So it's not like you're ever, mm-hmm. just like with toxins, you're not ever going to remove all of those things, but can you manage them? that's really what we want is just to learn how to manage and have a strategy of how we're going to deal with it. One thing that I think is so empowering for people to know is that our brains can actually grow as a result of stress. That really does happen. We just have to support it rather than be kind of taken down by it. It's all about how we manage. And nutrition is definitely one of the pieces of that. 
So key. And you mentioned the word strategy and there's so much stuff online right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's overwhelming. I mean, I feel overwhelmed all the time and I'm quote unquote an expert, but Mm -hmm. so everyone else is hearing all these things, whether it's online, well-meaning friends, family, community and whatnot. What would you say are the most effective strategies to try to incorporate more of those balanced eating habits? Mm, Yeah, that's such a good question. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's really overwhelming. Um, And almost every patient I work with comes in with a whole bunch of nutrition related like baggage, you know, I had somebody tell me the other day, well, I heard you shouldn't eat bananas. And then you know, they had no idea why, you know, or, oh, mm-hmm. I heard spinach is bad for you, or I don't know what nightshades are, but I'm scared of them, or you should only eat animal products, or you should never eat animal products. You know what I mean? Like, this is overwhelming for people. And a lot of times there's grains of truth underneath each idea, but it's taken way out of context. It's blown out of proportion. It's not personalized. So this is why medical nutrition therapy is so key. This is not a one size fits all, you know, this food has this one little ingredient in it that some people don't tolerate well, so nobody should eat it. I like to remind patients of how truly amazing their bodies are. We can survive and even thrive on a huge variety of dietary patterns, diverse kinds of foods, diverse macronutrient distribution. So, you know, you've heard people say you should eat exactly this, you know, this percentage of protein, this percentage of fat, this percentage of carbs, like that has varied hugely over different cultures, different spans of time, and people can be healthy on all of these different eating patterns. So I think having that gratitude or appreciation for the versatility, the resiliency of our bodies and brains, that's key. And then once we're there, then we can personalize. So what kinds of changes make sense for you in your life? And they have to be realistic. You have to be able to like imagine yourself doing them. You have to understand why you're doing them, right? Then you can go back to that gratitude, that mindfulness of body and mindfulness of mind. Notice how those changes make you feel as you incorporate them. And this is gentle nutrition, right? We talk about like gentle parenting, right? Like we talk about gentle discipline and how do we become gentle with ourselves, right? With nutrition and with lifestyle changes that we do out of a place of love and appreciation for our bodies and brains. And also knowing that there's no gold standard that we have to measure up to and feel guilt and shame if we don't. Gentle nutrition. I just really like that. (laughs) I I love that. And this whole nutrition and mental health and one area that's getting a lot of buzz is perimenopause Mm -hmm. and menopause, where it used to be thought, I'm going to gain weight, so I need to restrict my calories. And now they're actually documenting and showing that when you do those things, you're actually making those perimenopause, menopause symptoms worse. And so that's why it's important to have conversations like this. because Teaching people to listen to their bodies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all struggling. A lot of people are struggling with, you know, like mood behaviors and sleep disturbances. Mm -hmm. And then when you're speaking with them about what they're eating, a lot of them will say, well, I'm not, and I'm cutting this out and I'm doing this because I'm trying to silence whatever my body is trying to do mm-hmm. so I can go back to the way things were. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of embracing that there's going to be different stages of life and there's a lot of change that happens in each of those stages. So having that like appreciation for what your body is doing for you in that particular stage and what it's trying to accomplish is so important. And then when would you recommend for people to seek professional guidance mm-hmm. for specific needs? 
Yeah. So everybody's in a different place with this. And, you know, for some people, they might just kind of want to work on this by themselves first and, you know, just see what changes can they make on their own. And and that can be totally fine. Um, but I think really, even if you don't have, I guess, whether or not you have a diagnosed mental illness or, you know, actual, um, you know, diagnostic criteria that you're looking into for yourself or for others. I think that that's less important than how you feel. And then just recognizing that everybody is going to struggle at some points in their lives. Um, I do think that the vast majority of people struggles with depression or anxiety at some point in their lives. That might not mean that they have, you know, a clinical diagnosis ever, but that doesn't mean that you're not struggling, right? So having mm-hmm. support from somebody, whether it's a therapist um, or a dietitian or both, um, I really encourage my patients who see me for mental health, like I want them to be seeing a therapist as well because um, I just think it's that important to get quality care you know, from people who it's their expertise to provide. So there's things that we can do you know, on our own we can impact our exercise levels. We can, you know, change how much sunlight exposure even we're getting. We can change our caffeine and our alcohol intake. We can try to improve our sleep or spend more time in nature. So looking into your own nutrition and lifestyle and just trying to broaden that diet and eat more plants. And those are wonderful things that we can all do. Um, and we all have control over, you know, um, but yeah, if, if people are open to it, I'm pretty much 100% of the time going to recommend them to work with a therapist or counselor as well to dig into those thought patterns, to learn better coping skills and grounding techniques, maybe work on childhood traumas, maybe get with Huge. a psychiatrist if they need to, right? To look into whether medications yeah. would be helpful for them. So yeah, there's just, there's so many different ways that we can help people manage these. And I don't want anybody to get stuck in thinking that only, you know, one thing is going to solve their problems because they don't develop from just one cause. So we're not going to treat them with just one approach either. Yeah. And it looks different for everyone, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So you want to look at the whole big picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what about trends or developments? Because this is a really growing field. There's a lot of people that I started following in this space, which I find their work fascinating too. And how we also connected. Mm-hmm. What do you see happening in the field of nutrition and how it impacts mental health yeah. for years to come? Yeah. So like I mentioned multiple times, right? There's so much research yeah. yet to be done in this field. And I really do yes. think I'm, I'm a research junkie. I love to read research studies. I know not everybody does. Um, so that's part of why I, I do, do too. what I do. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we yeah. appreciate that. Yes, yes. It's it's really fascinating um, to see developments as they happen. I think that's the cool thing about this space because um, there's just so much to learn and we're always going to keep learning. Um, but I think that some of the practice recommendations that we're already starting to see are things like the use of nutraceuticals like omega-3 fatty acids as what we call an adjunctive treatment for people with depression. Um, so that means that you know we're not telling people to stop other treatments. We're just saying this might be a helpful addition um, and it has to be you know thoughtfully chosen and appropriate type of supplement and appropriate to the person. So um, I'm not saying that you know everybody 
should take them, um, but there's some practice recommendations that are out there for clinicians to help them figure out exactly what to recommend and when. Um, so I think there's more to come on that. There'll probably be more nutraceuticals like that, that we'll see maybe things like thiamine and folate um, that we know can help people who are on antidepressant medications um, to help them work more effectively and more quickly because um, there's that kind of point where um, it can take you know, three, four weeks for people's antidepressants to start working. And so if we can shorten that time and make people feel better quicker. So I think we'll probably start to see that too. Um, on the probiotics, uh, I think we'll probably start to see them used more prescriptive prescriptively um, with a mm -hmm. specific strain or combination of strains used to treat a specific problem. So we have some of this data already, but we definitely need to do more like high powered research studies to see what some of the most effective nutraceuticals will be. And I just want to say, yeah. you know, I think like nutraceuticals are great as far as it goes. Um, but it really just goes back to what we talked about before. Like our food does a lot for us. The scope of nutrients that we need in order to keep our, keep our brains functioning well is massive. And so we're not recommending people just take supplements for all of them. We want to really use the whole diet approach. Um, we don't just need nutrients, we need food, right? <laughs> that whole food matrix, yeah. And you also mentioned earlier about that collaboration between a therapist and a dietitian, mm -hmm. because often that could be a very powerful team effort yes. for a patient. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I think working with, like as dietitians, if we have therapists, because um, I think there's probably some dietitians listening to your podcast as well, you know, getting mental health support for yourself is huge, um, especially yes. if you work with this population. And then also, um, you know, having people that you know you can trust to refer your patients to for supportive care is really key as well. Because, um, yeah, we all want to operate as a part of a team, even if we're in private practice. I love that. And I did mention the course at the beginning of our conversation, and I'll be sure to include a link to that for people that are listening that would like to take it. Yeah. Um, Erica, where can our listeners find out more about you? Yeah, so I have a blog, um, nourishedmindnutrition.com. That is where you can go to read my posts and learn more about my clinical practice. Um, I am sometimes on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not like the mm -hmm. most um, savvy with the social medias. I don't, I don't probably love them as much as some people do, um, but I do post on there sometimes. So you can find me on Instagram at nourishedmindnutrition or Facebook at nourishedmindnutritionrdn. Awesome. And I've checked out your blogs. I love them. It's a great resource for people. Um, Erica, I greatly appreciate not just talking to a highly experienced dietitian, but someone who is passionately an advocate for transformative changes to support a healthier, happier mind. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been my pleasure. And to the listeners, we hope you found this episode valuable. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavanil Forouche. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media. 
Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.